1: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Chris Byers. He is the CEO of Formstack, an online form and data collection platform and previous sponsor of this show. He has helped Formstack grow from seven people to 200 people in the past 10 years. But not only that, they have pioneered remote culture and become a remote first culture previous to the pandemic. So I thought it made sense to talk to him not only about leading that culture, establishing that culture, but then how this pandemic has affected that culture, where they see things going in the future, as well as setting goals and OKRs, which stands for Objectives and Key Results, which is another way of goal-making for quarterly goals and annual goals for business. So even though most of us have been working remotely this year, this past year, and even probably before that, there's a lot of value in this conversation about rethinking remote work and hitting the reset button on it. As I know, even I personally, since I've been remote working since 2014, so about seven years in now, I would have to say that personally, every few months, every, you know, two to three seasons or quarters, I have to make tweaks to make it work again and relearn things. So in seven years, you can imagine how many different things I've had to learn or relearn or unlearn bad habit wise. So this is a great conversation for remote work focused in on that. So I'll just get out of the way and say, enjoy this conversation with Chris Byers. Well, this week it is my privilege to welcome to the show Chris Byers. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me.
2: Uh, excited about the conversation.
1: Yeah. Uh, so we've kind of, in passing, you know, known each other a little bit here for for a long time. I actually became uh, familiar with your wife first in her online activity based in Indianapolis, but that's you know definitely not where you guys have stayed. We'll get into that. You've been all over the place, but yeah. first and foremost. Uh, I've also known, I mean, gosh, it's been three years, four years now. Formstack was actually a previous sponsor of this show for a good chunk of time. It was like a, a nice little season or two here and there. And I would love it. Since you're the CEO of Formstack, I would love for you to just give the, you know, one, two, three sentence pitch of what is Formstack and give us some context.
2: Yeah. Ultimately, what's pretty cool is, I mean, you're thinking about productivity kind of all day long. And when you're talking to people and we're thinking about productivity also, I mean, we, um, Formstack's been around for about 14 years. And in the early days, we built a product that made it easy to build an online form. So think about something that today you'd discount because you're like, oh, I can do that in a thousand different products. But in those days, it really was enabling people who, especially take marketers, somebody with lead capture is like, I know what I need to do back in 2006, uh, but I don't have the tools to do it. I've got to get an engineer or a developer to kind of do the work. And so uh, it was a very, very early start in this kind of, we'll call it no code journey where uh, a non-technical user can really solve their own problem. And so fast forward to today, um, we're a team of 250 plus who uh, have kind of data collection and forms, but document generation. Uh, So imagine taking the data from that form or your CRM and and auto populating a quote or a contract, and then taking that all the way to e-signature, but all with this dream of how do we help uh, kind of the person who understands how to solve the problem, like in their head, like they've got the framework, they've got the process, they just don't have the the physical tools to do it or the coding skills. How do we enable them to get that done? And so uh, it's been a fun journey. I've been here for about 10 years, uh, well, actually 11 years now. And so a uh, great journey so far.
1: I have been following again since at one point and and prior to that, uh, Formstack has been a sponsor on this show. I've followed also kind of your family's personal journey as well as the company's yeah. journey so it's kind of intertwined in my own mind we've got a number of things that we can talk about one is just remote work in and of itself because of the fact that a lot of the times or or often uh most of the time although i don't know this for certain it formsac didn't start off as an a remote company but has grown into it and in fact grown into An example I would think of, as I've seen it, as a leader in that remote workspace prior even to when everybody was forced to recently, can you give me maybe a summary of like, what's the history of remote work been at least early days and then maybe fast forward to now?
2: Absolutely. So, you know, this was back kind of 2012. And from, say, 2006 to 2012, uh, we had lived in, in a small office park in kind of the north side of Indianapolis and in, in a fully office based environment. And in 2012, a, a series of things happened that kind of opened our eyes to um well, We didn't even probably think about remote. We started doing it, but we weren't really thinking about it until probably 2013. But in 2012, uh, I would say, first of all, I always told people... Rhythms in your day are really important to pay attention to. If you're more creative in the morning, if you're more productive in the morning, um, if you're more productive at a coffee shop, like go work at Starbucks or go work wherever and get that productive energy out there if that's kind of the rhythm that works for you, because uh, I think you just get a lot more value out of it. And so I'd always had that attitude. But then in 2012, Uh, both my wife had an opportunity to take a job back in Oklahoma, which is where I'm from. And then, um, so uh, when she had that opportunity, I said, you know what, team of 20 people, I think I can do this. And what I think I can do this meant way back then was I can get on a plane every week and be in the office a couple days a week, and then be back at home a couple days a week. And so that worked for a while, but man, a year into that, that's that's a that's a rough uh, rough <laughs> road. And so at the same time, we had had uh, you know back in 2012, it was tough to find software engineers. The uh, I don't think we'd had the waves of people going to college yet, and and really expanding that volume. And so I was looking for engineers, and uh, funny enough, ended up interviewing one in South Africa and one in Poland, and both from some. Uh, Some stories I think, you know, of our past life living overseas. But so all of a sudden we you know, I was kind of transporting myself back and forth. I have this engineer who's now in Poland. So we're navigating uh, time zone, remote, uh, not just culture, but country culture differences and and then, you know, little ways beyond that, we had a couple people who are great team members who said, hey, I want to move to Chicago or, hey, I want to move to San Francisco. And I was like, yeah, I, I'm sure we could support that. And eventually we realized uh, at, the, at, at that time. So it's so an interesting thing about to happen in the world where we've all gone remote. But what's going to happen is office pockets are going to come back likely over the next year. Well, the challenge you run into is you have the office people and the remote people and they're in different <laughs> You like they all almost end up in different kind of silos for lack of a better way to say it. And so after enough frustration of saying, how do we support all these remote team members? We finally said in 2013, all right, we're going to, we're going to call ourselves a remote first company. We will have offices but we will think about those offices more like co-working spaces. So you can come in and grab whatever desk you want. But we're a remote company first. That way, everybody has to learn how to use video technology. Everybody has to learn how to communicate using, you know, those those mediums like what are now Slack, et cetera. And so, yeah, that was the journey that started way, way back when. And um, I will say, you know, although the video technology was there, uh, what we have today is exceptionally better. It works all the time, pretty much. And it, did, it was not the, that way uh, back then.
1: Yeah, it sounds like then that you, you basically you went with the what's best for each individual team member or or not just what's best, but communicating clearly to them that, hey, you should. For all intents and purposes, be fully aware of how you can be most productive and when you're most productive, and you know, in in terms of time, space, attention, all those kind of good things that we talk about on the show. That that you should take maybe take some time, take some stock of what you do best and when you do it best, and you know when you can do deep work or when you can do admin stuff, and and not only when but where, and you lean into that and empower each individual employee to say oh well if i'm not uh required to be at a certain place in time now that's not saying there's no requirements to be you know in in meetings with other people but right. <laughs> y- you know the flexibility is there though to say it's not about being a warm body at a desk waiting for the phone to call or for the phone to ring and answering emails it's about what is your task and your role and and getting that work done not only the best way um but Even what's, what, how can you be most happy when you're, when you're doing that? And you took that and, and spread it as you, you, uh, you planted that seed in the culture of the company.
2: Yeah. And, you know, from uh, what this from day, this was not from day one, but there was a moment in time a couple of years in where I discovered uh, the importance of understanding one's own mission in life. And you can overblow that if you want to and make it super spiritual. You can you can you, you can also say, oh, mission, that's for like some people have that, but I don't. Well. I actually think that all of us have some sense of there is something I do in the world and it looks a little bit different than what other people do in the world. It's something I provide, it's something that gives me joy and contentment. And I kind of started there and and really think about that today, where yes, you're here to support the larger mission of our organization and what we're about. But if you don't know your own purpose you're going to have a tough time doing your job because you're always going to be like grasping for, Oh, maybe if I get the promotion or if I get the raise or whatever, that's going to be better. I think the moment you start to discover the real value that you've kind of been, you know, built to provide, built to uh, enjoy, I, th- I think that's where your real productive work starts because you're not spending all your time wondering if something else is better. And, and the way I think about it is, you know, my discovery was that, uh, I I love developing leaders into great leaders. And what that means is if you fired me tomorrow from this job, I would whether I have a CEO role or something else somewhere else, I'm I'm still going to invest in people and say, hey, I want to understand who you are, what you're trying to accomplish. And I'm going to coach you. And even if it's informally, encourage you toward those those greater goals. And so I do have that belief that ultimately your your core, you know, kind of mission purpose, et cetera really helps that first level of productivity.
1: Yeah, and and I think that you're you're leaning on something or leaning into something maybe is a better way to put it that you're you're not just passively uh leading. It's it's living it's not just it's not living by default or leading by default. It's living and leading by design. That that by taking that extra, you know, you alluded to this earlier and I kind of mentioned it before where, you know, A lot of people don't or didn't even up till the time COVID hit, um, which is why it was like a crash and burn situation for them. And then they had to pick up the pieces and and rebuild uh, had to do with not knowing you know, morning or evening or having a space, a time, a certain type of work that's best at certain times of the day, uh, how long you can pay attention to, uh, a screen versus having to take breaks, all those kinds of good things. By asking yourself those questions, by, by, in other words, doing that homework, then remote work and flexibility and change are faster to be adapted to for the most part. I mean, it's still it's still difficult. I mean, we, we still are being challenged by, I, I, mean, I guess I'm going to say this word, I don't think I've said it yet on this show in the last year, unprecedented challenges uh, in terms of that mental work towards that lifestyle and career productivity design. But it's that intentionality versus that passivity that, I, that I'm seeing and hearing um, from not only you, but your organization.
2: Well, I, I think you've yeah hit on something great last year for so many of us was a, even if you had a sense of purpose going into last year, it forced you to just rethink a lot of things. And it, it tells you how much we just take for granted that uh, the community around me and my work, that these things that just kind of happened and I didn't really work toward. Uh, all of a sudden, I had to like rethink, and 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 what does that mean? And even for me, although we're a remote organization, and I don't live near one of our offices. Um, I I did enjoy getting to the office, maybe once a month, maybe every other month, and just spending time with people. And I've had to figure out, all right, what what is the what do I need to do to kind of readjust to that need for community? And I think uh, I think you're right. I think people have not. It took a little bit of last year to even force people to think they might have to spend some time answering those questions, but uh, most people are caught flat-footed because they just have lived life same old way and expected people to be around and uh and that filled enough of their buckets that that it worked for a while and and all of a sudden when your your buckets of kind of community and friendship and uh and even just distractions and fun outside the house are empty uh you're you're kind of faced with all right what's next
1: yeah i i have to think that your team as a whole was probably not better suited to um you know, face the pandemic specifically, but to face their um, work shift, you know, one by already being uh, remote first to a point, but also having that culture in place. But I- I'm curious, you know, what were some of the things that you ran into in terms of communicating the vision of the company ongoing um, from the point of the pandemic as well as moving forward?
2: Yeah, you know, for us, we we have historically said, you know, so 60 plus percent of the max price, 70 percent of the organization is completely remote. I'd say 30 lives near an office. So, yes, you're right. Everybody was very much used to how does a remote world work? I can operate that way. But what we do happen to do is twice a year, one time, the entire company, and then uh, on the other half of the year, teams will get together physically. And that's a great time. It's something we depend on for passing vision along, even just reinforcing culture. And so we've really had to lean into uh, how do we do that via kind of video, essentially. But if you think about that, all of us know we don't want to be on video anymore. And so we've had to say, how do you even jump beyond the live Zoom call and even move toward pre-produced video that has a much higher quality and touch to it? Because Although the the video tax is there, we all still go watch Netflix at night. And so, if you can create a more um, high powered, high quality experience, I think you can get those messages across. But I'd say the um, you know the other thing we dealt with, just like everybody else, was kids at home. I mean that that yeah that was just <laughs> it didn't matter how good we were at remote. That was just a tax that nobody knew how to pay. And uh, and I'd say for that first six months, it was just we just kind of grabbed grabbed two, I don't know, two pillars and tr- hung on as, as best we could <laughs> until we got closer to the end of the year. And then, you know, by the time we got to this year, people had adjusted a decent amount to what that looked like. But yeah, it it's a tough journey.
1: What did it look like for you to communicate to the employees, though, that, you know, even though they were used to remote work um, and, and may have felt completely comfortable in that skin, unlike a lot of other people, The other variable, though, is kids, and so so, you know, if if anybody out there's like me, again, already remote working, but then suddenly everybody's home with me all day as well. How do you communicate a sense of security and reinforcement of the culture during that challenge of kids and spouse at home too?
2: Yeah, well, you know, and if we roll back to March, life was just changing so rapidly, and every day you'd open the news and wonder what you know, next tragedy, even if it was the same topic, just like what was coming. And so we just, we realized a couple things. One is we needed to be very, very transparent about what was going on with the organization. And so uh, we started, uh, for instance, a, a weekly scorecard that we put out and that scorecard had cash. Like we put, here's how much cash we have in the bank and here's how revenue went last week. And um, kind of had a handful of things. Here's, here's team size and things like that. But it was to, to begin to layer in, hey, we, we've, we're watching the important things that maybe we watched and we will, um, you know, you'll get to see right along with us what <laughs> what happens, so that you're not just completely caught off guard if something doesn't go well. Because those first couple of weeks, we didn't know what was happening. We thought that you know, business definitely took a, a big pause for that period of time. The other thing we did was we took every manager in the organization and said, uh, "We need to meet every single week," and we left Q and A time open for them to be able to ask questions on behalf of their team, and uh, just made sure there was tight, tight communication about how the organization was and also to hear how all the people were doing. So we, the, the other step we took was we set we, we built kind of a form, uh, you know, funny built, built a form at form stack, nice. but it it was a kind of a, how are you doing? But it, it answered quite or asked questions like, do you have kids at home now? Or, you know, trying to understand people's situations. But we said to every manager, you must walk through this form with every single person on your team. We want 100% uh, data on this so that we can make decisions and know what, what does need to change if anything. And I'd say ultimately the core mode we just went into was we never really defined a new reality of like, Oh, we're going to work four days a week or whatever. We just said, man, we're flexible. We don't know what that means for you. (laughs) Just keep, keep your conversation going with your manager so they know what you're dealing with. And we're just going to keep working with you. And uh, that was not fun, but it worked to get, I think people feeling like, all right, the business is okay. Um, We're being paid attention to as individuals. We're being cared about and uh, turned out to at least get us through the year and, and ultimately get us through the year fairly unscathed.
1: Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search.
0: If you enjoy Beyond the To-Do List, I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans. I'm Sarah Hart Unger, the host of Best Laid Plans, a podcast devoted to all things planning and planning adjacent. I talk about everything from paper planner reviews to deep dives into all things productivity, from keeping track of goals and tasks to fitting in your true priorities and reducing the stress around planning and organizing across different areas of life. I am a practicing physician and mother of three, so I have a lot going on in my own life and I'm intimately familiar with the time constraints that impact us all. And I love sharing my own productivity strategies and learning from others who have their own ideas to share. I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans, available on all podcast platforms, or visit my website, theshoebox.com, T-H-E-S-H-U-B-O-X.com, to learn more.
1: I just love that you're you know again you're being intentional not just with the forethought but with the actual communication and transparency with the company. I also uh work for a company that uh, our CEO did something similar where they were giving this weekly debrief of here's where we are, here's what we're doing. You know, we know many of you are home with kids and we don't know, you know and that's going to change for some and not all and be up and down and just communicate we will be okay. And it's just, I don't, I can't tell you how much that meant to me. So I'm assuming that's going to, that was very helpful uh, for your team as well. I am curious though, did you onboard or bring any new people in during this period? Because you may have had needs, needs arise uh, in the company that you had to have new hires for.
2: Absolutely. You know, the business was ultimately was still growing and I believe, um, Now, I don't know how many of these people came on before March, but ultimately we brought 100 people onto the team last year. And a a lot of those were early in the year before this hit. But I I would venture that's still 50 plus that happened afterward. And some of that was, you know, people leaving and being replaced, but some of those were net new roles. And so uh, it was interesting to uh, have these weird moments of the world's kind of in chaos and, you know we're dealing with the day to day of of these challenges but on the other hand we we get to provide jobs and you know the the experience for me last year was i've always kind of been like you know what we hire great people they can get a job somewhere else so if for some reason we can't hire them or even if we had to let them go for some reason they're going to find good jobs last year was the first moment in my you know 10 11 years where i was like oh this is really important this is this is meaningful and providing employment is actually doing doing really good in the world. And so it was a good shift for me to, to see, uh, to see that. And, uh, but yeah, I'd say most people got to just participate in the, in the same old onboarding and same old things that we do to try to bring people in. And I think found a place where, uh, we, we had created some sort of stability. And, and, and so that was a good thing.
1: How do you, uh, You know, communicate again when you get those new people coming in, you know, outside of the pandemic. Let's put that away for a while. But we can talk here about, you know, what what does it look like for somebody coming in? How do you onboard them, get them, you know, acclimated to the culture and the remote workforce for your team?
2: Yeah, so that's a great question because the challenge that I know many companies are going to face is they're all going to say, "Oh, this remote thing is actually pretty good. Let's embrace it going forward." Well, so now I have to roll way back to 2012, and some of the challenges we faced early on were, um, first of all, actually onboarding has got to be the most important thing that in a remote world needs to look very very different, and so for us, you know, this you've shown up to an office before. And it's first day and they're like, Hey, look, there's your desk. We'll see you later. And while that's not the right onboarding experience for anybody, it works because there's somebody sitting next to you and you can ask them questions. And like it, 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 got, you know, it was kind of okay. He found somebody to go to lunch to the first, you know, with the first day and it, it all kind of spun out from there well, in a remote world, if you give somebody that kind of, Hey, welcome to the team, your computer just arrived today and then you disappear They don't have any idea what to do. They they don't know who to reach out to. They don't know. There's just all these huge barriers. And so we built an onboarding process, which is essentially a long, long, long series of tasks. But it was here are the systems we use. Jump into Slack. Go to. Reach out to this person and ask them about um, who is Walter. Walter for us is a, a donkey that we sponsor in the UK. Um, I don't even remember why we sponsor the donkey, but uh, it it's this like cultural kind of icon that we've got. But we kind of force people to get into the culture by like, go ask this person about this event and time just so they can kind of have a funny moment and begin to take in things. But it's, here's how the software works. Here's where you find information. And here's your agenda for the first two weeks. Here's who you're going to meet with. Um, And your days should be fairly full. So that was for us a really good turning point because people really just didn't know what to do those first couple of days. And, and, that's your this great really two week period where we can set the stage for getting you kind of invested in the organization and, and understanding how it works. The other thing we discovered was just the power of written communication in a live environment. You often don't have a ton of it, especially depending on your team size, especially maybe you don't even do that much in terms of email. Uh, you can just you know, stand and talk to somebody and enough of that filters out to the people sitting around that you get a lot of osmosis of communication. And so we realized though, that the power of written communication means that first of all, I can read it anytime. I can digest it as slower, as fast as I can, and I can go reference it again. And so if something's been well-written that means I know what's happening in the organization or or with a goal or with a project or something like that. And so we've invested heavily in things like uh, Atlassian's Confluence, where we've just got endless pages about projects or HR or whatever it happens to be. We actually are, most people find we are an email heavy organization, but ultimately that's because of the remote world where again, if I wanna deliver a message, I know that if I write it, at least there's something that people have again to reference and they can't, they can't say they didn't get it. They can kind of slide by if they listen to a video call and say, Oh, I got distracted or whatever. If you've got that email, you can always go back to it. So those were some big lessons for us that have helped us kind of get, I think, I think find some continued success, even being remote. Earlier you had mentioned
1: uh, the words mission and vision. And I also know that uh, you guys have been doing something that recently in in my organization we started doing last year, which is this acronym OKR. <laughs> and I would love for you to maybe, design, you know, spell out a little bit more since you guys have been doing OKRs for, I think, five, six plus years now. Um one, if you could give a quick overview, because we've never mentioned the word, the letters OKR on this podcast. If you could give a quick overview, what is an OKR, and then if we can dive a little deeper into your initial and then ongoing experience with that.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a great and loaded question. Really, yes. <laughs> if, if for anybody who's got any experience with OKRs, um, so I think the the starting point is many of us got to experience the first knowledge of OKRs. Uh, there's actually a great video out there. It was it was I think talked about at Google, and so of course, anytime something management wise is attached to Google, you're like, oh, that's the right thing. That's the only way. And uh, so we started to explore OKRs. Yeah, a number of years ago. So, OKRs ours are simply objectives and key results. So if we think about goals, I think most of the time as we set goals, we think about what are effectively key results. We think about the very finite. I want to lose 30 pounds. I want to uh, learn to fly an airplane. I want to get my pilot's license. Those are those are kind of the the uh, some of the key results. But what we don't often think about is the more holistic yeah, but what's the aspirational thing that we want to do? So let, let's take that flying example. I might say, you know, I, w- I want to learn to fly. But why? Why does it matter? Who cares? Like, what what is the importance there? It's like, oh, the the objective kind of becomes something more aspirational. Like, I want to be able to take my family to amazing destinations on the weekends. Or I want to be able to get in front of people, in faster, you know, in a faster time or something than I get to. So the the objective is a better life experience, effectively, or or something along those lines. The key results are: oh, I've got to go take my ground course. I've got to go take my flying hours, et cetera. And those are the things that stack up to allow me to che- achieve that more visionary um, goal. But what I would say is. Well as you know if you've ever told somebody if you've ever given, given somebody what you think is really clear direction and they bring you back a result and you're like that is not what i asked for at all um this happens in OKRs a lot because it it is a very fuzzy it sounds almost per- like perfect when you hear it the first time. It's like this great system that if I can set amazing objectives at the top of the organization, that's going to flow down to everybody and they're going to feel aligned and like they belong and it's going to be the greatest thing ever. Well, what turns out, though, is it's hard to teach people how to set effective goals, to set crisp, measurable goals with time attached to it, Um and so our experience has been all over the place. We actually, we actually built software to even solve the problem, and even when we did that, it still never made it uh, a perfect system by any means. Because one person would like make it overly scientific and say, "Oh, we've got to have these perfect key results that are all measurable," and that just never paired up with really getting everybody thinking about okrs in in the same way. And so I'd say after years of trying it we've backed off a little bit and said let's not be as scientific about it. Let's make this a little bit more digestible. Let's let's keep objectives that's really important. Where are we going? What are the big visionary things that we want to do? But let's not try to uh, keep let goals effectively waterfall through the entire organization let's just make the f- sure the first layer of effectively key results are clear to the organization so this year um for instance we have a, an objective uh, around giving back and giving back to kind of the world and so we've said the key results around that are uh, we want to be able to give our product away to some nonprofits we want a uh, kind of a a uh, want to be able to give away one plus percent of our time in terms of volunteering. We want to plant trees and have a specific goal around that for the environment and have a track around social justice. Well, that's kind of where we're going to leave it for now. We feel like although a lot of people are going to do some work toward those those goals and those KRs, we want to make sure it feels a little bit lighter and just make sure the organization knows what we're trying to do the moment. I mean, if you've got somebody full time who can work through it, I think you can get it done. But it's just hard work to start at the top and try to weave that all the way through the organization.
1: I'm curious what has maybe been the biggest learning curve when it comes to the OKR process, because you know, it, it, in my experience. Uh There is that initial kind of aha moment that you were describing where suddenly right up front at first you think, oh, I get it. It's it's you know, it's not just about like if I if I can give a practical example that, you know, maybe I've used here on the show before Um the key. We always think of setting our goals as key results. Like you said, we, we set those. That's about the highest we go. And, you know, I'll say, hey, I want to lose 20 pounds, but we don't have any kind of true motivation for that or even the mechanics of the how to of it um spelled out as much because we haven't gone up one level and said well the, what's the why behind that what's the what's the real objective there and you know so for example i could fill it i could fill that objective in and say uh to be to be healthy enough to um i don't know to to go I, i'm i'm trying to fill in fill in something aspirational. let me fill in something like to go on a Hike of the Appalachian Trail with my family. Let's just, let's, let's do yep. that. That is, you know, something that I definitely couldn't do very easily right now, but you know what? I probably could slot that in at some point. And so then suddenly, if you're thinking of that, thinking of that high level objective trickling down into the key result, but, but again, this is a learning. That's not on, that's not the only learning curve because again, right up front, that seems like I just simplified it a whole lot. But then there's other nooks and crannies where people get lost or drop off or, again, get confused. And so I'm, I'm curious what that learning curve has been like for you guys.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely been a, a journey. And I would say our, our kind of leadership team has both uh, frustration and ultimately gets there <laughs> nearly every quarter, uh, where I think for us, what we've learned is, first of all, start early. Um, if you start too late, it. Because you need time to kind of discuss those objectives. Like, what do we want to accomplish? What are the big ideas? And I would say if you can separate those, it's it's really good. So, you know, kind of be black and white about saying, let's not get to the the detailed goals. At least for me, I have problem with that. I, I just want to talk, like, I'll jump to the goal real fast or I'll jump to the solution. Let's talk about the big ideas. What do we want to convey to the people around us about where we're going? And what are those big words and and aspirational words and phrases that we want to use so that they see, oh yes, that's like, that's the beautiful future that we're going for. Then once we get a handful of those, then we can work into the goals. But if you, if you don't start that process, what we've learned is you need to start that process probably, you know, if, if there's a three month quarter, um, you probably want to start it in month at the very beginning of month two for the next quarter. So that by the end of month two, you can start to communicate it to you know more people in the organization and let them set goals so that then by the time you get to that beginning of the next quarter, everybody's kind of got a sense of what we're doing and, and goal setting. So I'd say time is probably the most pressing thing and the, con, you know, the consistency you need to build to actually have those conversations two months ahead of the quarter is tough. <laughs> most of us are like, yeah, but I'm in the middle of a quarter. I don't want to think about the future yet. I'm, I'm just struggling to meet the goals that I've got out there right now. And so I'd say that's probably the most important thing that we've at least learned how to do a little bit better. What
1: about uh, incorporating? I know you just were talking about doing these quarterly. How do you see overarching, maybe an annual uh, version of it that's on a macro level for the year?
2: So that's another thing that, it's a great point. It's another thing that we've done that has made our lives a little bit easier is if we will at least set objectives and maybe sometimes even key results that are annual, it takes a ton of stress off of having to go through this process all of the time. And so I'd say for this year, we've got very clear objectives that are it's for the year. So at least the objective itself now, then key results right now, we let both weave in some are just quarterly because that's about as far as maybe a particular department can think. Uh, Cause they need to like learn from that before they set the next one. Or some of them are a little bit more clear and it's like, yeah, this is a multi-step process. That's going to take all year. So that gets a little bit messy, but we've allowed both to kind of live, both the quarterly and the annual. But I, but I think it's a great point. If you can think annual, you will relieve some pressure in that system.
1: How long have you been doing this? What, since 20? 2010. Um, 2010.
2: Yeah. 2010. yeah. Oh, and, well, so, okay, okay, ours itself. Okay, ours is probably more like, but still 2013, I think. So it's been a while.
1: Yeah. So, so obviously, you've continued doing it. Even when it's been hard and pushed through and found it rewarding and, uh, a positive experience enough that, uh, cause I want to give that to, to other people that are out there, like, um, <laughs> you know, like my coworkers that, uh, you know, we, we've done it for not just, not even a year yet. And there's been some growing pains with it in terms of, uh, Perfecting the process and the, and the deciding and the discussion and the, the scope and, and all of that. But, uh, maybe there's other people out there like us who are in the early stages that can glean from your team that it's well worth doing, you know, that there's a positive experience as tough as it's been probably at, at, you know, certain hurdles. Um, you kept going.
2: yeah. So, so there's a, a great experience I had where, um, last year we, we actually invested in some new software. Uh, the product is called ally and we, we'd gone through the whole OKR process and, you know, we've got a 200 plus or uh, person organization. And I was like, I want to see what goals are kind of living throughout the organization. And so I, I found some way to export all of them. And I had the tiniest print on about like eight sheets of paper and I just read through every single goal in the organization I think it was 800 and I didn't digest them all of course but what was just amazing was like we've got people working on really, really good stuff that it truly is helping us move the organization forward. So even in when those, you know, if you are listening and you're having one of those moments where like, yeah, this process is hard because it is Uh, the result of it. And the way that people can really understand how their work does contribute to the overall goal, that can be pretty amazing. And I was just like super energized after I read that list and was so glad I spent the time doing it because it, It proved that something was working, even though you don't always feel it, because it's hard to feel that people are understanding it and setting the right goals and are are really kind of using it well.
1: I love that you were able to do that, that, you know, to be able to it's almost like business journaling in a sense on a macro level.
2: Yeah, that, that's right. And and that's the challenge. The more you grow, you have no idea what's going on in a company. And even if you're only 10 people, you still have no idea what's going on in the lives of all 10 people. But where that can kind of get expressed and will at least them communicating what their goals are like, yeah, OK, I, I at least know that they're, they're thinking about the right things.
1: I would love to, uh, one, start to, as we wrap up here, point people to where they can Learn more about what Formstack's doing, but also you guys are doing a great podcast uh, over on your site called The Ripple Effect. And it looks, it, it appears that it's bi-weekly. Uh, at first, I was like, wait a second, there's, you're skipping weeks. But then I was like, oh, wait, no, it's there. But there's a lot of different topics uh, on this regard. Uh, I'd love for you to share, you know, where can people find out more about Formstack? Where can they grab the podcast? And uh, yeah, dive in deeper into this discussion and also the productivity tool that is Formstack.
2: Absolutely. And I will, I'll use my best, uh, since, since I host a podcast, I'll do my best podcast, you know, (laughs) go visit formstack.com forward slash ripple effect. And that's where you're going to find, uh, you know, the, the, the podcast and, and the episodes that we've got out there, you know, for us, we're, We love this idea. And and funny enough, it goes all the way back to our remote journey. We love this idea of reimagining your world of work. We are in a moment in time where and, and this is even more important today, where we need to not say, oh, well, this is how it was done. This is how. You know, office culture used to be. This is how everything used to work. We're in a moment where we can reinvent what we do and how we do it and when we do it. And so let's capitalize on that moment. And so we're trying to have conversations with people really across the board about how they think about the future of work and and reimagining that world. So we've got uh, guests from, you know, the head of product at SmartSheet, who's thinking about how can literally software help people, uh, you know, grow and improve their work lives, and even to, uh, you know, someone who. Teaches people how to use no code software so that maybe they don't have a degree, but they can jump into a business and solve important business problems or someone who works uh, kind of day to day in a, a university and, and just helps describe how do they think about their world and even respond to last year and how do we convert our operations to digital and, and online so you know, for us, we're just having a fun time learning a lot. I'd say I've learned a lot more in doing this uh, podcast than I you know provides me more value. Maybe than it provides other people. <laughs> <laughs> I love learning from just all kinds of people. And then for Formstack, we are just continue you know continuing on this journey of helping people. You know, solve important business problems, but do it in an efficient way, do it to save time, save money, because ultimately productivity and the improvement of productivity is how business gets better and how it's how a business uh, grows, grows faster, uses the same dollars and gets better results. And so where we can come in and help people uh, really just reimagine those processes and make them automated faster, et cetera. We're excited about that. So we're building a really cool workflow tool that helps you connect multiple products together and and create ultimately workflows and and process automation that uh, can streamline whatever's going on in your department, HR, if you want to do onboarding better or job reviews, uh, you know, in marketing, it's both capturing those leads and getting the right sales reps. However, we can do that. We want to be a part of people's journey of productivity.
1: That's exciting to listen to and hear from you because again, I've been impressed by the tool for a while now. And so I encourage everybody to go check that out and the podcast. I'll link up to those in the show notes. And Chris, it's been awesome talking with you. I can't wait to catch up again sometime in the near future uh, with you and see what uh, you're pushing forward in terms of productivity and Formstack.
2: Thanks so much, Eric. Keep this uh, podcast going. I know you're helping people uh, do some really great things and, and learn how to just run their worlds better.
1: Well, that's another podcast crossed off your podcast listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and conversation with Chris Byers from Formstack. And if you're not familiar with Formstack, you really should check out what they're doing over there. I'll link them up in the show notes. I hope that you took some notes here and thought about not only where you are remote work-wise, but where you want to be remote work-wise, to make it work, to make remote work work for you. But not only that, that you thought about this intro to the topic of objectives and key results, OKRs, and wrestle with that a little bit as well. I know that I have the last three to four quarters now in my day job. It's definitely something that's motivating and can be demotivating, but is definitely something to grow with, as we heard Chris talk about. If you enjoyed this conversation, I'd love for you to do me the favor of Sharing it with somebody you know needs to listen to this. You can do that by hitting the share button in your podcast player app of choice where you're listening to this now, or head on over to the show notes at to-do list.com. Thank you again for sharing. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next episode.